When it comes to weight loss, no two people are the same. That's why Noom builds personalized plans based on your unique psychology and biology. Take Brittany. After years of unsustainable diets, Noom helped her lose 20 pounds and keep it off. I was definitely in a yo-yo cycle for years of just losing weight, gaining weight, and it was exhausting. And Stephanie. She's a former D1 athlete who knew she couldn't out-train her diet, and she lost 38 pounds. My relationship to food before Noom was never consistent. And Evan, he can't stand salads, but he still lost 50 pounds with Noom. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. Even through the pickiness, Noom taught me that building better habits builds a healthier lifestyle. I'm not doing this to get to a number. I'm doing this to feel better. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom users compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, a typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. A lot of times to me, the one person that I did everything with. He would have given anything to protect her. Everyone was like, Paul, don't drive. And Paul would snap back and be like, well, this is my fucking boat. He was out of his mind drunk. Y'all know Alec Murdoch. That's his son. I heard a scream and then a bang. 911, where's your emergency? Oh, what bridge is this? And then that's when we all started screaming for Mallory. Alec wasn't worried about finding Mallory. He wanted to make sure that lips were sealed. They were more worried about a cover-up. Five made it ashore alive. Mallory Beach did not. Paul had been receiving threats from strangers. He was scared. Speculation is running wild. For over a century, the Murdochs were law and order here in the 14th Circuit. The family was under increasing amount of stress. They didn't seem real at the time. The double homicides of Maggie and Paul really changed everything. I think this may very well be related to the death of Mallory Beach. What was the motivation other than revenge? There are facts that don't add up and bodies tied to this family. The Murdochs would just make someone disappear. There were so many rumors that Buster and Steven were intimate together. Steven's death is now intertwined with the Murtaugh. Gloria had found drugs under Alex's bed. She knew too much. Moselle. It's like massive playground. The way Paul told it, it was for drugs and strippers and everything. You can't believe everything Paul says, neither. They were okay with this drinking, they always get us alcohol. You drink like that to escape. This is the fall of a dynasty, it's a fall from grace. I do believe that Alec Murdoch would kill Paul and Maggie. There you are scared for your life. It's either do or die. Hey, lovely listeners, and welcome back to Crime Analyst and the Intelligence Cell. Now I'm going to jump straight back into my analysis of the Murdoch murders. And so here's your trigger warning. Listener discretion is advised. Now, there's a lot to this case, as you just heard in the clip at the top of the episode. That was the trailer for the Netflix docuseries Murdoch Murders, A Southern Scandal. But as I said in part one, there are multiple victims in this case... And so I don't like the term the Murdoch murders, as it's somewhat misleading. 
Now, as I said, the start point for my analysis is Maggie and Paul's murders on June the 7th, 2021. However, I believe that the death of Mallory Beach in 2019 is inextricably linked to Maggie and Paul's murders, and I'll explain in much more detail why when I talk through the micro and macro timeline and the sequence of events. Also, Gloria Satterfield died mysteriously in 2018 at Moselle, the Murdoch family hunting lodge, and it was Maggie who made the 911 call. More about Gloria and what I believed happened very soon. But it's worth noting here that Gloria was the housekeeper for 25 years for the Murdochs, and she also acted as a nanny for Paul, and his ex-girlfriend, Morgan, said that Gloria showered him with love and affection. Then there's 19-year-old Stephen Smith. Stephen was found lying in the middle of Sandy Rum Road in rural Hampton County in the early morning hours of July 8, 2015, with fatal blunt force trauma to the head and other secondary injuries. Now, originally, this was ruled as a hit-and-run homicide in 2015, despite there being no evidence at the scene of a car accident and many other facts which I'll get into. But his incredible mother, Sandy, has been a lone voice advocating for him ever since it happened, and she always believed that Stephen was murdered. But it wasn't until June 2021 that South Carolina Law Enforcement Division, also known as SLED, reopened the case. Now, it's interesting the timing, given that Maggie and Paul's murders were on June 7, 2021. And then on the 23rd of March of this year, SLED confirmed to the Smith family that it was officially considering the case a murder investigation. I have a lot more to say about Stephen, Mallory and Gloria. And right out of the gate, I want to pay tribute to their families for being such fierce advocates and ensuring that they're not forgotten, never giving up and fighting for justice and accountability. And I'll do my best to be their voice, and I know you all will too. And so thank you for listening, and please share these important episodes with others. This is a case where we need to crank the window open and blast fresh air and sunlight in to disinfect, and not shy away from calling out corruption and wrongdoing, and those who are violent and seek to mislead others, and also those who have enabled bad actors. And talking of bad actors, I want to dive into the 911 call Alec Murdoch made at 10.07 on June the 7th and then talk about the crime scene, law enforcement's response and the timeline. Now I'm going to play the 911 call straight and whilst you listen, note what jumps out at you. But before you hear it, I'll tell you that lots of things jump out to me and it's worth highlighting that the 911 audio was released by SLED to members of the media in the interests of transparency in inverted commas. Now that comes up a number of times, this interests of transparency, and I'm going to say something about that later on. Okay, so here we go. Take a listen to this. Okay, you said 4147 Moselle Road in Allison? Sir? You said 4147 Moselle Road in Allison? Yes, sir. 4147 Moselle Road. Stay on the line with me, okay? Yes, sir. Stay on the line with me, okay? Yes. <laughs> 
on the line. I'm still here, okay? Oh. Collison, I have an Alex Murdoch on the line. Caller from 4147 Moselle Road. He's advising that his wife and child was shot. Mr. Murdoch, go ahead and talk to Collison. It's 4147 Moselle Road. I've been up to it now. It's bad. Okay. Okay. Connor County Communications. Collison, I have an Alex Murdoch on the line. Collison, 4147 Moselle Road. He's advising that his wife and child was shot. Okay, and sir, give me the address again. It's 4147 Moselle Road. I've been up to it now. It's bad. Okay. Okay, and are they breathing? No, ma'am. Okay, and you said it's your wife and your son? My wife and my son. Are they in a vehicle? No, ma'am. They're on the ground out at my kennel. Okay, and did you see anyone? Okay, is he breathing at all? No. No, is she okay? Do you see anything? Do you see anyone in the area? No, ma'am. No, ma'am. What color is your house on the outside? What color is your house on the outside? Uh, it's white. You can't see it from the road. Okay. Is it a house or a mobile home? It's a house. Okay. And what is your name? My name is Alex Murdoch. Okay, did you hear anything, or did you come home and find them? No, man, I've been gone. I, I just came back. Okay, and was anyone else supposed to be at your house? No, ma'am. Please hurry. We're getting somebody out there to you. Oh. Oh. Okay, what is her name? Maggie Maggie and Paul. Maggie is her name? Yes, ma'am. Okay. And please hurry. Uh, we're getting somebody out there to you. Me asking you these questions. Don't slow them down, okay? And you sure they're not breathing? Is he moving at all, your son? I know you said that she was shot, but what about your son? <laughs> Nobody. They're not. Neither one of them's moving. What is your telephone number? And does anything look out of place? Ma'am, I, I not not particularly, really, no, ma'am. Okay. Okay. All right, I'm going back down there.
Are they close, ma'am? Yeah, they're, they've been around with you ever since uh, you've got on the phone with me. I have multiple people coming out there to you. Okay, can you do me a favor, Mr. Murdoch, and turn on the flashers on your car so that way they can see where the kennels are? Do you have your flashers on for me, Mr. Murdoch? Yes. Okay. I don't want you to touch them at all, okay? I don't I don't know if you've already touched them, but I don't I don't want you to touch them just in case they can get any kind of evidence, okay? I I already touched them trying to get a um to see if they were breathing. Okay. Well, I I just don't want you to move anything just in case they can get any kind of evidence, okay? Oh. Yeah. Ma'am, I'm going to call. I, I need to call some of my family. Okay. Well, well do me a favor for me. Whenever you see the officer or the medics, because they're, they're all coming to you. Absolutely. Okay. But we have them come in. Turn on the flashes on your vehicle so they can see you, okay? You got the flashers on for me? I do. Okay. All right. Just whenever you see them. Okay. How old is your son? 22. Okay. All right. Okay. We're, we're getting them out there to you, okay? And I will answer if you call. All right. Okay. So first we hear Alec Murdoch out of breath, almost hyperventilating. Murdoch said his first name and address and that he needed the police and ambulance immediately because his wife and child had been shot badly. He pleaded for them to please hurry. Now I have to say that this 911 call has Michael Peterson vibes. It's really reminiscent to me of Michael Peterson's call to the police after he said that he came in from the pool and discovered Kathleen, his wife, dead in a pool of blood at the bottom of the staircase. Also, it really is staggering to me the amount of men who find their wives or girlfriends dead. Well, lying in pools of blood. You see, I rarely see the reverse being true. Women stumbling upon bloody scenes of death and the men in their lives dying in such dramatic ways. It's something to think about as these patterns are just that. Patterns. And men seem to be able to explain away violent deaths and rarely are their narratives taken apart and challenged using the physical evidence which fights their narrative. That's another interesting pattern to ponder. So going back to this case, Alec Murdoch confirms the address that he's at and then hollers, please hurry. Then we hear the call being transferred and Murdoch said, I've been up to it now and it's bad. That's what he told the county dispatcher Angel Fraser as he described the scene. Having been asked to confirm the address multiple times, which Alec Murdoch did, the dispatcher asked him if either of them were breathing, to which he replied, No, ma'am. 
The dispatcher then asked him to confirm that it is his wife and son. At this point, he hasn't named either of them. The dispatcher then asked, are they in a vehicle? Murdoch replied, no ma'am, they're on the ground out at the kennels. He said something else, but the dispatcher talked over him, and it's hard to make out exactly what he said to her. But the dispatcher said, OK, did you see anyone? OK, is he breathing at all? No, nobody's breathing, Murdoch said, through sobs. Now, it's odd to me that the dispatcher only asked about his son at this point and not Maggie, but this was pretty much the direction of travel throughout the case. Murdoch informed the dispatcher that he didn't see anyone else around the property and that the colour of their home was white and he added, but you can't see it from the road. The dispatcher then asked if it was a house or a mobile home. Alec Murdoch takes a beat and then he screeches, it's a house. Listen to how his voice goes up. What colour is your house on the outside? Uh, It's white, you can't see it from the road. Okay, is it a house or a mobile home? It's a house. Okay, and what is your name? My name is Alec Murdoch. He's really rattled that she asked that. It's also interesting to me that he's annoyed about this question when he's apparently just discovered his wife and son murdered. You see, in the scheme of things, it really wouldn't matter given the gravity of the situation. But it matters to Murdoch. It matters a lot that the dispatcher doesn't know the address and that this is a big hunting lodge in the area and she doesn't know that the family are a big deal and that he has kennels, my kennels, he said. And then she asked if it's a mobile home. Status and his name matter a lot to him, even on this call when he allegedly discovered his bloodied and murdered wife and child. What he's noticeably not angry about is the person or people who did this, There's no who the F did this. That is significantly absent and missing for me. So then the dispatcher asked his name again, and he said, my name is Alec Murdoch. Still nothing from the dispatcher in reaction to his name. Instead, she asked, OK, did you hear anything? Or did you come home and find them? No, ma'am, I've been gone. I just got back, he replied. OK, and was anyone else supposed to be at your house, she asked. No, ma'am, please hurry. So here, Murdoch wants to let her know that he wasn't there and that he's just returned. I've been gone is an odd phrase. I just got back, he said. So these two sentences together, it's doubly important for him to emphasise that he allegedly wasn't there. But did you notice the time delay between answering the question and him saying, please hurry? To me, it comes off as if he's remembered to add in some urgency to the conversation And that's why he inserts, please hurry. It's a bit of an afterthought, and the way that it's delivered fights the urgency that he's trying to convey. For me, there's no urgency in his voice or in his actions. And now it's just under three minutes that he's been on the call. And what he doesn't say is, I don't know if the shooter or shooters are still here. Please hurry, we need help. I mean, realistically, the killer or killers could be waiting for him, but he shows no concern about that which for me is a glaring omission and a big red flag. Now, if you've been listening to my episodes on Crime Analyst, you'll know that I've said many times before, with my analysis, it's not always what people say or do when a crime's been committed. It's also about what's absent. Hey, lovely. What's your makeup go-to? What do you need to face the day? 
Now for me, if I apply my eyeliner, my brilliant eye brightener, mascara and red lipstick, I feel ready to face anything. But I know every now and again, I need to zhuzh up my makeup and my amazing sponsor Thrive Cosmetics has a full line of makeup to refresh your everyday look. With clean, skin-loving ingredients, their foolproof products make it easy for any skill level to apply. Also, Thrive Cosmetics' Bigger Than Beauty mission is amazing. For every product purchased, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive. I love that Thrive Cosmetics supports domestic violence victims, breast cancer survivors, and women who are homeless. Now, if you want to wreck from me, you cannot go wrong with the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. Thrive Cosmetics Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara has a unique formula which creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. And they use nourishing ingredients that support longer, stronger and healthier looking lashes over time. Plus, it's super easy to remove and slides right off with warm water and doesn't leave smudges. So treat yourself or someone you love and help women thrive together. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash crimeanalyst. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash crimeanalyst for 10% off your first order. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly, allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. So the core handler then said that she'll get someone to him. Then Murdoch whimpered and we hear the dogs in the background. And so it's obvious to me that he was moving around at this point. And at three minutes and 23 seconds, the dispatcher finally asked about Maggie and what her name is. Maggie, Murdoch replied, Maggie and Paul, and then he repeated, please hurry again. At three minutes and 38 seconds, the dispatcher explained that she had to ask the questions and that he mustn't slow them down. Okay, she said. And interestingly, Murdoch doesn't respond. The dispatcher asked, is he moving at all? Your son? I know you said she was shot, but what about your son? Nothing from Murdoch. Then some whimpering. And at four minutes he said, Nobody, they are not. Neither one of them is moving. And then there's silence up until four minutes and ten seconds. You see, for me, there's a distinct lack of urgency in his response. Also often on a 911 call, the caller is hanging on every word the call handler says. And when I train call handlers, that's exactly what I say. Take great care because the person on the other end is hanging on every word that you say. But that's not the case here. He's actually not responding at times. 
And the dispatcher then asked for his telephone number, which he gave, but this part of the audio is redacted as its personal information. Then the dispatcher asked, and does anything look out of place? Murdoch paused and stammered, Ma'am, I, not particularly, really no, ma'am. Okay, said the dispatcher. Now I get the sense she most likely is reading from a script or that someone's talking in her ear, and then we hear the clack-clack-clack of her typing on a keyboard and then another long pause. At four minutes and 47 seconds, Murdoch announces, Right, I'm going back down there. Then there's a pause. He's walking around, it sounds like, and he's out of breath. And at five minutes and 24 seconds, Murdoch's voice is strained when he said, Are they close, ma'am? She replied, Yes, they've been en route since you got on the phone, and that there were multiple people coming out to him. Another long pause. Noticeably, Murdoch doesn't say, well, what's their ETA? Now, particularly if you're worried that the killer or killers may still be there, that's probably something that you would ask. And again, if you're desperate, you often ask that question. You just want to know when somebody else is going to be there. And particularly if you want to get help and you still bleed, there could be a chance that your loved one still might be alive. But that's not what happened here. At five minutes and 50 seconds, the call handler said, Okay, can you do me a favour, Mr Murdoch, and turn on the flashes on your car so they can see where the kennels are? No response. At 6 minutes and 11 seconds, she asked again, Do you have your flashes on for me, Mr Murdoch? He replied after a pause, Yes. The dispatcher then said, I don't want you to touch them at all. I don't know if you've touched them, and explained, just in case of evidence. He replied, I already touched them, trying to get, uh, um, trying to see if they were breathing. Okay, she said, but I don't want you to move anything, just in case they can get any evidence. Okay, she confirmed. We can then hear dogs barking again in the background, but in my opinion, Murdoch checked out of the call around the three-minute mark, and it's confirmed at six minutes and 55 seconds when Murdoch said, Ma'am, I want to call, I need to call some of my family. The dispatcher reminds him that the officers and medics are coming to him. He responded with, absolutely. But like I said, I get the sense he is checked out. The dispatcher's last instruction to Murdoch is to turn on the flashes on the vehicle so the arriving officers can see him. Murdoch doesn't reply. She asked him again for a third time. You got the flashes on for me. At 7 minutes and 21 seconds, he said, I do. The dispatcher responded with, How old is your son? 22, Murdoch replied. The dispatcher said, Okay, we're getting them out to you. And Murdoch replied, I will answer if you call. The emergency 911 call ended just after that. So there are several significant shifts in this call. And in the last part of the call, Alec Murdoch is calm and transactional. Now, without knowing anything else about the case, it sounded to me like he shifted gears. And I believe Alec Murdoch had checked out that the task was complete and that he'd moved on to the next phase. And I have to say, it really was bizarre to hear him tell the 911 call handler that he's off to make some other phone calls. You see, normally, that's not on someone's mind when they discover their family dead. That part comes later on. Unless, of course, if you've already thought this through in advance and you're just going through the motions. These gear shifts are major red flags for me, And along with the fact that he's not angry or concerned about who did this or whether the shooter or shooters are still there and what we know about the home being the most dangerous place for a woman, 
Those attending this 911 call should have treated Alec Murdoch as a suspect right from the start. But that's not what happened. Local police arrived at the scene at 11.47pm and sled agents responded at 12.07. When the police arrived, they're confronted with a horrific scene and Alec Murdoch wastes no time launching into the fact that it's a long story about his son and that his son was in a boat crash and as a consequence of that, he was receiving threats. So Murdoch has immediately framed what this double murder is all about and this is a great example of controlling the narrative and he positioned Paul as the bad actor, and that this was all of his own doing. Talk about victim blame. That's very instructive to me, and I have more to say about it. Also, he said that he got a gun because of the scene. So he did think about that. But at no point did he say to the dispatcher in the just under eight-minute phone call that he had concerns for his safety or about who did this. Now I'm going to get into Alec Murdoch's behaviour once the police arrive and law enforcement's action, or I should say lack thereof, because also an officer Daniel Green's body-worn camera footage, which I've analysed and deconstructed, we hear him say that the scene is secure. Take a listen to this. Central Sub 117 is secure. Got a whiskey fox, whiskey mic, both gunshot wounds to the head. Sir, I want to let you know because of the scene, I do. I did go get a gun and bring okay. it down here. It's in your vehicle. It, just you have any guns on you at all? Leaning, no, sir. It's leaning okay. up against the side of my car. Okay. You're, you're fine, man. You're fine. Turn around for me. I don't have anything. Okay. Yes, sir. I see that. Okay. This is your wife and son? And son. Okay. It's bad. It's bad. I take the pulses. Yes, sir. (laughs) This is the firearm you brought from inside the house? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I went and got... This is a long story. My son was in a boat wreck a few months back. Okay. He's been getting threats. Most of it's been benign stuff we didn't take serious. Okay. Um, you know, he, he's been getting, like, punched. <laughs> um, I know that's somebody, I know that's what it is. Okay. <sighs> there was no evidence that the scene was secure, and there was a distinct lack of action in terms of arresting Alec Murdoch or placing him in the back of a patrol vehicle, just like Gabby Petito was placed in the back of a police car for something much lesser. Instead, Alec Murdoch was allowed to do what he wanted. He was allowed to roam around the scene, doing as he pleased, making phone calls and even inviting people over. Yes, you heard that right. This is absolutely insane and unacceptable. But perhaps me pointing that out to you tells you who held the power over whom, and I'm seeing it all on camera, even in this situation of a horrific double murder where Officer Daniel Green confirms on the radio that both the victims had gunshot wounds to their heads. And even then, Alec Murdoch, the last person to see both the victims alive and the person who made the 911 call, is allowed to do exactly what he pleases at the scene and the scene isn't secured and the victims weren't protected and forensic opportunities were compromised as a consequence. All of that is not okay. 
And in the next episode, I want to talk to you about the crime scene and share my analysis with you. And it might surprise you what I have to say. And I want to talk in detail. So we've covered quite a lot of ground already, particularly going through in depth the 911 call. And I want you to be fresh and ready to process what I have to share with you about the crime scene and law enforcement's response when they attend the scene. So until next time, remember, be curious, ask questions and always trust your instincts. Here's my final thought and ask before the episode wraps. I really appreciate you listening to Crime Analyst. And if you like what I do, please take two minutes to leave a five-star review wherever you listen to me. It really helps others find me and my work, and it helps with the ratings too. Crime Analyst is written, produced, and hosted by me, Laura Richards. Sound engineering by Jason Sheasley at Abridged Audio. Cover art and graphics by Chris Rowbottom at Syndicate and music by Kilrude.